Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Well, my journey to become a speaker has been a fun one through lots of different twists and turns. And one of those things was having to learn how to be funny because I was not funny. And one of the people that I learned from in that journey is the man that you're about to meet. His name is David Glickman. I first attended one of his trainings. Oh, gosh, I was in my 20s. And it was one of the most transformative pieces of my entire career. David and I now are uh, kind of colleagues and we've known each other for years. He's in the Professional Speaking Hall of Fame and he is kind of known for corporate customized comedy. But before he was in the speaking business, he was in show business and he worked with Steve Martin, Ellen DeGeneres. He appeared on Evening at the Improv. He owned a chain of comedy clubs. And he's just a funny dude. And I've learned so much from him. And I actually recently we hired him because one of the things that he does is he owns a company that helps people write funnier speeches. And so I had a new bit that I was working on for a new audience. So it was a brand new piece of material. And I wanted to get David's eyes on it and his input. So he is continues even to this day to be one of my personal speech coaches, specifically in the realm of comedy. So I figured you got to meet David. We got to have him on. So welcome to the show. Well, Rory, thanks so much. And again, you and I have known each other for probably close to two decades here, but it's great to see you evolve and you know your humor has grown. I watch you now and I just go, you got it you understand how important humor is to what we do for success here. Totally. And it's amazing. I'll say like I sometimes I'm genuinely amazed at how much of a skill this is. And looking back at where I started to go, if someone hires me to do a speech now, they're laughing their butts off. And I go, man, that is not who I was. Like I did not know how to do that. I think that's, you know, the first thing I wanted to talk about is you really believe that humor can be learned to some extent, right? I mean, do you still feel that way? Do you feel more that way than you did 15 years ago? Or do you? I truly believe it's a skill that can be learned. It can be refined. And it's funny when we talk about humor, it's almost like uh, dissecting a frog while he's still alive. It's just uh, people will listen and say, oh, well, that sounds very, very cut and dry. Well, the science of humor is cut and dry. It is. But yes, absolutely. You can learn it. And as you've experienced, as you learn some of these tricks and techniques, you just learn how to think funny. Yeah. So what does that mean? All right. So let's dive into that for a second. So what does it mean to think funny? Like, why do we laugh? Or like, what are, there's different techniques here that apply, but like, what are you trying to do that causes someone to laugh? You're trying to do something that's a surprise, something they're not expecting. I'll give you an example here. So I'm going to go back about 10 years Rory, that's when you wrote your New York Times best-selling book, which was Take the Stairs. Everybody remembers oh, Take that. the He's Stairs. Seven steps to achieving <laughs> true success. 
But, okay, so let's fast forward 10 years. You've learned through many of your clients, not everybody has the same work ethic as Rory Vaden. So your new book for 2021 would be Take the Escalator, (laughs) Seven Less Steps to Achieving True Success. Now, those who are just listening to the podcast, on the video version of this, we're actually showing a book that's a parody of Rory's original book. I love it. So what we've done is just we've taken something that was already existing and we've tweaked a word. We've tweaked something. By tweaking the original of something just a little bit, whether it's a rhyme, whether it's a letter. I once spoke at a conference where the theme was together we're better, but it was for the American Wastewater Association. And I said, oh, the original theme was supposed to be together we're wetter. You know, I just changed (laughs) one word and it became funny. So to your question, it's looking at words, looking at themes and how can we just adapt them? Yeah, the surprise. I mean, I guess in one word, you could say surprise that you'll hear misdirection or, you know, you're saying tweak, but like take the stairs, you know, is established as a theme. And then, you know, you kind of do that play. And you think that's basically what all of all of humor comes down to is sort of this like element of surprise. Right. But surprise is step two. Step one ah. is observation. It's looking, it's seeing. And again, I know this sounds kind of cut and try, but the research that's involved in any kind of making something funny is important. You have to kind of know the bigger picture, if that makes sense, to be able to switch and adapt and adjust. Now, again, we're talking primarily on customized humor, Rory. For evergreen humor, you don't need as much research. What I worked on for you was evergreen. That story will work anywhere, anytime, hopefully for the next 10 years. You know what I'm saying? So there's, there's two types of humor, evergreen humor, and customized humor. Okay. What's the difference? Yeah. Evergreen should work all the time. There are comedians out there who have an act who they haven't changed one word of it in 20 years. That's evergreen. That means that humor. And again, for most speakers, professional speakers or professional business folks, if they create a presentation, they don't have to necessarily change it. The humor that's in there that's crafted will work forever. But the customized humor is often funnier, if that makes sense, because it's of the moment. People are hearing it just about them and that moment. And it's like we're all in on the secret together. We're all in on this because only we know what that particular joke means. It's like a big inside joke, basically. Right, right. Exactly. A whole audience. Well, and I think what's super powerful is going... So like for most of our clients and most of not all of our clients are trying to be professional speakers. In fact, I would say even most of our members and clients, they're just speaking as a marketing vehicle to like for people to find out about their service or their product or whatever it is that they offer. It's wonderful when you can have evergreen humor because you have like signature stories about your life and your whatever that you tell all the time. And once you have that down, then you kind of have like this sort of baseline of entertainment. And then the customized stuff is kind of like where you can have more fun and you can experiment. And I do think that's part of what your magic, like your secret sauce is customized. So let's dive in on the customized humor a bit. How do you even approach this? Because writing a joke is friggin' scary by itself, (laughs) but then going, okay, 
how do I write a new joke, like a new thing that I've never tried out before and I may never do again and go, but I'm going to try this because I think it'll be funny this one time for this one audience. How do you like, how do you even start with that? Well, and first of all, I want to just, I'm going to back up to one thing you said there where you said, try it one time. If it's a line you can use multiple times, one time is not always enough to get the reaction you want to test its efficacy if it's going to be funny. Now, if it's the American Wastewater Association and that's the only time you're in front of them, then yeah, the water joke might be the only time. But to your question, how do you figure out what's funny? Again, it goes back to the research. I always ask the same exact questions in looking at who the audience are. And again, for your clients, maybe who their prospects are. What are their pain points? What keeps them up at night? What are their frustrations? And then you look at that and see, okay, how can I possibly find something about them that twists it? I call it the comment on the comment. If you ever look at a football okay. game, you've got, you typically have two people broadcasting the game, the play-by-play guy and the color commentary guy. The play-by-play guy is the guy doing the content. The color commentary is the funny line. In other words, here, I'll give you an example. I, I just wrote this for a client last week. He had a line in his presentation where he said, by a show of hands, who here is a multitasker? And people would raise their hand and then he'd go on to talk about multitasking. Well, the funny comment on the comment that I added was, he says, by a show of hands, who here is a multitasker? Well, a really good multitasker could raise both hands and still be texting. So that was <laughs> yeah. the funny line. And it got a big laugh, he said, he told me later, you know, comment on the comment. Again, if your audience, Rory, goes in trying to be funny first, they're going to be frustrated. They need to come up with their content first, their sales presentation first, their website first. Don't put the pressure of trying to be funny first. Then look at it for how could we tweak this? What could we comment? What's funny? What word could we change? What word is in our name of our company that could now be a funny acronym? Yeah, we would tell them like, you know, we kind of think of it as baking a cake and you first got to get like the core ingredients in place, which is your content. And then you put the icing on, which is kind of like your stories. And then when you get to like the fancy frosting and the sprinkles, that's more of like what the humor is. But what's really cool about what you're saying is even though it's kind of scary, the idea of writing a joke and then writing a custom joke that is this one time. What feels pretty safe and predictable to me is the idea of going, yeah, but if they're frustrated about it, if this annoys them, if they're angry about this, or if this is the thing driving everyone nuts, it's pretty safe. It's a pretty safe bet to go, even if I can just find a creative way to bring it up, they're going to laugh. Like, And even if they don't laugh, they're going to feel special. They're going to be like, oh, look at what you know. But it's it's just the frustrations. That's weird to me. Like, why is it that things that are frustrating make us laugh? It kind of seems almost opposite. Like you go, if if this is the thing that frustrates us, I wouldn't want to bring that up. Because you're acknowledging it. You're talking about what everybody is experiencing. And the same thing works for a sales call. Or, you know, if there's a dentist and he or she has prospective patients, you make note of the tooth pain And then you come up with something clever in your marketing materials to that. The way I look at it is, you know, we do business with people that we like 
we like people that make us laugh. It's this natural progression. So every opportunity you can have to add the humor is going to just build your brand that much better. Yeah. And you're going just like to use the dentist example is to put yourself. So it's one thing if I'm a speaker and I'm coming to speak at an event and I'm sending them a pre-programmed questionnaire, or I'm doing going to their website or I'm doing interviews and I'm saying, hey, what are the things that frustrate you? But if I'm a dentist, I don't have to ask. I know. I already mm-hmm. know because I hear it every day. It's just kind of thinking, like, I think this is huge that step one is observation as you're going, ask yourself, what are they scared of? What are they afraid of? What is annoying to them? And then basically just find a clever way to bring it up. Is that? Yeah. Okay. So your example there of the dentist, I did a punch up for a gentleman who consults in the dental industry not too long ago. And I don't know how we got to it. He had something in his original content that drove my idea because I was thinking, well, what frustrates your prospects? and their eventual clients. And we came up with something where it says on the website, the tooth, you can handle the tooth. And we had the picture from a few good, not a few good men, the Jack Nicholson one. Yeah, a few good, that's a few good men. Yep. uh Yeah. So by doing, instead of the truth, the tooth, you know, this becomes now something very funny on the website. You can handle the tooth and, you know, tooth is italicized. Again, as you and I sit here, maybe not hilarious, but for the person looking at it, who's thinking about their tooth that hurts, bam, we've hit a nerve, no pun intended. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and yeah, just for everyone to know, like the reason why it's not funny to hear two people talking about comedy is because there's no surprise. Surprise right. is the whole element of laughter. And when you're sitting here listening to it, that's what makes comedians so amazing is like, it's one thing when you're in a business presentation, like for all of us. We actually don't have to be that good because no one's expecting us to be funny. Like when you come in as a speaker, as a financial advisor, as an accountant, an attorney, as a like, like no one expects you to be funny. It's different when you tell people you're a comedian, they're sitting there expecting you to make them laugh, which is way harder. We have a little bit of an easier, this is like a you know, almost like just a covert operation for most of us. And people will laugh because they're not expecting it. And so the bar is set a little bit lower. Okay, so you first observe. So I like that. I get that. That feels doable. And by observe and research, I'm just going like, what are their pains? What are their annoyances? What are their frustrations? And then what's next? And then you look at it. I mean, again, there are certain tricks and techniques. The rule of three. I mean, that's an old comedy rule where you list three things in a row. The first two are normal. And the third one is the surprise. It's the derailment, the, you know, the one you're not expecting. Again, most of your listeners are just listening to this. They can't see. I don't have a lot of hair. So my three might be, I remember when I first started, I had dreams. I had hopes. I had hair, you know, boom, (laughs) boom, switch like that. So that's a rule of three. Here's a stupid one, but it works. Odd numbers are funnier than even numbers. Rory, I have no idea why, but I have tested this. I have road tested this. A seven is funnier than a six. I don't know why. Planned mispronunciations. If there's a word in your, you know, your audience's uh, vernacular in their industry that is hard to pronounce, perhaps you pretend to mispronounce it twice. And then the third time you give a synonym. So you might say something like, you know, there's an old colloquial, <sighs> there's an old colloquial, there's an old saying that sometimes when people, okay, see so a boom, boom, switch yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, and even that is comes back to that frustration concept is it's like, 
it's this annoyance of saying the word colloquialism is so difficult. It's so difficult. And you're, you're like commenting on the thing that frustrates them, which is exactly what comedians, that's what stand up comedians do. And it's right. nonstop, right? They're telling jokes about being married. They're telling jokes about their kids, about going to the airport, about paying their taxes, about like, and all they're doing is commenting on the things that frustrate us somehow, which is correct. It's amazing how simple that is. It really is. And I have yet to come across an industry. I mean, I've either spoken to or punched up, you know, uh, presentations in a myriad of industries. And I'm yet to find one industry that doesn't have at least top 10 frustrations. I'm on a call tonight with a group of pharmacy students to get my research done for a presentation for pharmacy. So I'm going to, you know, just ask them, you know, tell me everything that's frustrating to you. I'll get 40 things and I will then turn those. What we should do is do a part two. I should come in, you know, on another podcast and tell you, here's where the 40 things that were frustrating and here's what I found funny in them or how we made it funny. And but the essence of that is going, what is sort of a surprising way I can bring that up or like a natural way to kind of bring it into the presentation? Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's hard to explain it without a, a concrete examples. So again, if for argument's sake, like going back to the customization, if you're in a venue, if you're doing a sales pitch or a speech in a room that is freezing, you know, like everybody is sweaters and this and that, you'd acknowledge it by saying something like, not sure if the folks at this hotel know, but there's a brand new invention. It's called a thermostat, you know, <laughs> something like that. Again, kind of soft and then boom, hit. Now, we're not trying to make people comedians. That is not the goal here at all. Not the goal. It is just to find those moments of levity. And the way I always look at humor, it's like an EKG. In other words, you're talking, you know, normal, normal content, laugh, normal, normal content, laugh. And that these moments of humor should be as much as possible throughout your entire, whether it be your website, your pitch, your speech, your presentation, whatever that might be. So other than frustration, so I get that one. And again, like, even though you're saying it helps to have a specific example, but it would be like, okay, let's pretend for a second, if you were a stand-up comedian and you were going to write a set or a bit on right. marriage, the very first thing you would do is go, what frustrates people about marriage, right? And it's like, whatever, my wife is telling me always what to do, or my husband is in, spends forever in yeah. the bathroom, or is that the best place to look? Or are there other places additionally that you look? Or do you kind of focus on frustrations as like, that's the safe go-to? That's the easiest thing okay. because it's the commonality of everyone. If you were doing something on marriage, and again, you just gave the example, let's say, of the bathroom. And again, this, is, this isn't anything like I would say for a corporate audience necessarily. But and again, I'm just riffing here, but something like... Uh, my wife says, uh, put the seat down. But, you know, she only has to remind me about 117 times per day. You know, it's exaggeration. You know, normally you'd say once or twice, you know, but it's the exaggeration that watch comics, study comics, all those books where well, your listeners can't see it, but there's hundreds of books behind me. Every single one of them is either a biography or an autobiography of a comic or a textbook on humor. You learn, you observe, you watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exaggeration is a core part of this. But like even on social media, there was one that is like, a you know, all these mommy blog, like mommy <laughs> accounts and stuff. And there was one that I saw that was like this that said, I birthed a baby in less time than it takes my husband to take a poop, right? <laughs> and it's like, 
So they're taking a frustration, then they're acknowledging it, and then they're exaggerating it. It's almost like you observe it, you acknowledge it, and then you exaggerate it. Yeah. I mean, you kind of nailed it on the head there. I mean, that is, that's really it. But one word of caution though, especially for folks who are not used to using humor, you do have to just make sure that your humor is appropriate and relevant. That's where some newbies get into trouble sometimes. My mantra is when in doubt, leave it out. You know, if you're the least hesitant, oh, could this offend somebody? That bar keeps, you know, changing on what might be appropriate and what might not be. So I want to make sure we put that in the podcast today that, that when in doubt, do leave it out. Yeah, that's really huge because that's the one time it can backfire is, which is one of the reasons why self-deprecating humor is so wonderful because you're just like, you're less likely to offend someone. You're less likely to like run into a... um I mean, they just, they tend to be a little bit more forgiving when you're talking about yourself, like your hair joke, right? If you call someone else bald, that's more dangerous than if you, you know, use it like on yourself. And also there's a misconception out there that humor, tragedy plus time equals humor. People always say, well, you can't talk about something bad now, you know, in the news, but you can talk about it later. Tragedy plus time equals humor. That's not always true. There are certain things that are topical that just, I speak a lot in the healthcare world and I'm yet to write one joke about COVID. I'll write things on the periphery of it, but the disease itself, you can't poke fun at it. So again, watching your subject matter, you know, you just want to be very careful. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. So news topics is another great place to look, right? Because, you know, like when you say observe it, there's a couple things that jump out to me. You know, the safe one is like, self-deprecating stuff, which is also evergreen as you describe it. But it's like, if I come out in shorts, which I don't, but if I did, everybody would notice that I have skinny legs. That'd be like the, every single person would notice it. And so I could acknowledge it, exaggerate it. Like if I just go, what are people thinking when they look at me? That's observe it. Then I come out and acknowledge and I say, you may notice that, you know, my legs are make flamingos jealous or something like that. Right. So you've got that. Then you've got sort of the customized just frustrations. But then another place to, it seems like to pick up some good humor is inside of pop culture. Now you're talking about COVID as like a bad example, which I would agree, right? Like that's not a laughing matter. And it certainly wouldn't be for at least a very long while, but there's certain things in pop culture that you can get away with. Do you Oh, absolutely. Pop culture, I subscribe to Entertainment Weekly, not so much because I want to read all the nuances. I want to go big picture. I want to see what shows are the most popular, what movies, what podcasts. So I can drop in a reference 
to Ted Lasso, and 80% of my audience is going to know if I say, well, I'm not going to go all Ted Lasso on you here with some you know, homespun wisdom. Dropping in just a pop culture reference, the audience, he said Ted Lasso, like that. And to your point earlier, it doesn't have to be as funny because you're perceived as in the know. And a lot of times when I would hit a town, I would look in the local news, you know, whether it's online or some towns even still have hard copies of newspapers. It's pretty cool. But I'd look at the local news and see, you know, okay, let's say there's a restaurant that's closing. So let's say it's called the Spaghetti Barn. So everyone knows the Spaghetti Barn closed in you know, Cincinnati. So I might open by saying, well, your meeting planners have been so, so kind to me. They gave me a free dinner for 10 at the spaghetti bar, <laughs> yes. you know, and everybody knows, you yes. know, it goes nuts. Yeah. They gave me something of no value. So again, that little bit of research, have you ever had Sam Richter on as a guest on your podcast? I don't know if you've had oh, Sam man. on. I don't know that. I don't think we have. We should because he's a genius. He's a great speaker, but he's got some great systems and stuff. I've learned some cool stuff from him over the years. Yeah. Because he's the master at learning research of research. things, of finding stuff that you can then make funny. I use a questionnaire and I'm great at interviewing. I look at my own programs. I do probably 80% of my time is spent researching and tweaking and writing and then presenting. It's the easy part. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. And when you're back to the pop culture thing, you're really just looking at headlines because it's got to be a big enough, which makes it easier for you research wise. Because if it's not a major headline, not enough of the people in the audience will know it. But if it's a major headline, it's pretty safe to think like everybody's going to know it. And it almost feels like the more recent something is and the more relevant or like customized it is, the more forgiving the audience will be in terms of how funny it has to be. But it's like, if you're talking about the spaghetti barn, if that just happened, you know, last week and everybody knows about it and it's hyper specific to our town, that's even funnier somehow than what's going on in the political election that everybody Correct. knows about. Yeah. Right. And absolutely. And just again, another little caveat there. I never do political humor or write political humor. It's just become, unfortunately, just too risky because in any given audience or any given prospects, potential 50% of that prospects or audience will not agree with whatever that humor might be. So, you know, the late night talk show guys, they certainly show, you know, what their thinking is. But for those of us in business, my opinion is that you can't show it for the purposes of humor. It's a mixed audience. Right. So I do look for current things, pop culture things, but I'm very cautious to steer clear of the, uh, you know, and there's great political humor that you could use, but it's risky. Yeah. So I guess you'd say anything that's super controversial or emotionally charged is best to just kind of stay away from. It is. It's more, but it's more like the lighthearted things like Ted Lasso is a great example. Our pastor right. this last Sunday made a reference to Ted Lasso and everybody went nuts just because right. he said Ted Lasso in church. Yeah, exactly that. Or if you just look at, again, Entertainment Weekly or any kind of pop culture kind of thing, you know, we'll just give you those high level things. My point on it is you don't have to necessarily know it. Let the other, you know, pop culture writers do all the heavy lifting for you. 
Although I started watching Ted Lasso and it is funny and it is great. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's super, it's super cute. We love it because AJ doesn't like to watch any shows that have violence or drama or sickness or anything. She yeah. only likes shows that make her laugh. So we've been all into. And uh, that's a great example. So something like Ted Lasso, the dialogue in there, what you're laughing at most of the time are those comments on the comment. You know, it's the storylines being driven. We'll call that the content. Or, you know, in your listener's world, that might be their sales presentation. But what you laugh at are those comments on the comment. Ted Lasso will make some remark that is hilarious based on what just happened or what just was said, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of that like that analogy you used earlier of like you're basically a commentator. Like a comedian is basically a giant commentator on life. It's like everything we all go through and they're like just commenting on it. And another thing, if your listeners can find something that works in a humor vein and can put it early on in their presentation, there's a thing called a callback. And I think you talked about that before on other podcasts. A callback is where you bring back that thing that got the laugh again for, you know, more laughs. Yeah. So we teach callbacks in our world-class presentation craft oh, event, but we actually haven't talked about it on the podcast. So, oh, okay. So, so take a sec, because here's, you know, part of what I'm hoping people see, and this is like something that I've learned from you and others is like, you don't have to just like sit down and think of a joke. There's these places that it comes from and you go, what are self-deprecating things I could bring up? What are frustrations that people have? What's going on in pop culture? And then callbacks is another easy place to look for humor. And it's like, it's a lay down. Right. So there's a piece I do in my own presentation about, I use a funny prop. It's a restaurant pager, like where you're waiting for a table, you know, that oh, you yeah. hold. And again, your listeners won't see this, but anyone watching the video, it's hard to see because of the lighting there, but I have a little one. It's actually an ad specialty. I put my name on it. So early on in the program, I get a huge laugh on my table's ready. My table's ready. The premise is that I carry my own with me, you know, my own restaurant pager. <laughs> and it gets a huge, huge laugh. Well, what That's I awesome. do, Rory, is, and then I put the blinking one in my pocket. And then later on, you know, there are, I think, three other moments in the speech where I go, my table's ready. My table's ready. And again, out of context right now, it's not that funny. In the moment, it's hilarious because we've yep. called back to a laugh, again, that they're all kind of in on, you know, in on the secret there. Yeah. All you have to do, what's amazing about callbacks is it literally doesn't even have to be a, a setup or a punchline or anything. Like all you have to right. do is say the thing that made people laugh earlier. The other thing that's really clever for using callbacks is it, it doesn't have to be a callback to your own stuff. It can be right. a callback to the speaker who was right before you or earlier that morning. People go bananas over yeah. that. They think you're so much more clever than you might necessarily be. <laughs> <laughs> That's what yeah. I'm interested in. That's why I like, I like it. Well, those are all tricks and techniques that will work. If I'm speaking in a morning program, if there's general session speakers before me, I always go in the day before, you know, assuming my schedule can make that happen to watch every other general session speaker. I do, a, you know, a wrap up of every other one who's gone on before me. And again, it's just acknowledging certain things they said. And then I comment on their comment, not my comment. Like you said, I comment on their comment. So even if you have a business professional who might be following other sales presentations, you know what your competitors are selling, what their bullet parts are, bullet points, excuse me, are. You can gently make fun of your competitors 
if I'm working for uh, T-Mobile and I'm pitching against Verizon, you know, Verizon says they have great coverage. Yeah, in zip code 37919. Again, I'm just riffing here, but, you know, poking fun, gentle fun at your competitor and the prospects will laugh. Yeah. And hecklers, actually, I've <laughs> noticed are another place that you can get callbacks is sometimes someone will say something out funny from the audience. Some of the best lines I've ever written came from something I said and a heckler said something and everybody laughed and I wrote it down and I'm like, thanks for that gift. I'll add that right. myself <laughs> next time <Yeah. laughs> because if it worked in that moment, it'll work again. Well, this is awesome, David. And a couple of things, y'all. So you could tell by listening, there's a science to this and an art. There's skill. A lot of this is experience. And I would tell you listening that if you can have some evergreen content, like for example, your backstory, in almost every presentation you give, at some point, you're going to tell people about who you are, where you came from. I think having your own little mini kind of semi stand-up comedy routine about your backstory, yep. if you could work on that one little bit, you can use it in pretty much every presentation you give for the rest of your life. And it doesn't have to be Ellen DeGeneres kind of funny. It can be two or three little chuckles that just give you confidence and break the ice and you know help you feel comfortable before you move into your speech or your podcast interview or your sales presentation or your internal you know company meeting and if you struggle with this David can help you so he's one of our trusted vendor partners so if you email us if you go hey I want some help writing this just send an email to info at brandbuildersgroup.com and put funnier speeches in the subject line. So email info at brandbuildersgroup.com, put funnier speeches in the subject line, and then we'll connect you with David. Of course, you can go find him you know, on your own, but we'll connect you with him and you know, he'll talk with you to see if you're someone he can help and hopefully he can help you because if David can't help you, then nobody <laughs> can help you. I have worked with other business professionals who've dealt with accounting law and some of the most, you know, you would dry. think dry subject. I believe that every topic, every industry has room for humor. I really do. Totally. And I like, I really am taking away one of the big things from this conversation is don't do it in a mean way. Don't do it in a risky way. Don't offend people. You don't have to. There's enough light, safe, common frustrations that we all have. Right. There's enough pop culture references. There's enough callbacks. There's enough little you know, quirks of everyday life that you can just observe it, acknowledge it, exaggerate it, and, you know, get a chuckle and have a great day for everybody. So David, is thanks so much for coming on the show, man. And as always, thanks for your mentorship and counsel. And oh, you know, my pleasure. You Rory. Thank you so much. It was great to be with you today. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free lifetime access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into 
podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com and we will get you set up with free lifetime access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.